Good evening, everyone. That was such good worship. That, Kathy, thank you for being obedient and singing that prophetic song. I don't know where you went, but that was, that was powerful. Derek, thank you for singing Come to the Altar. <laughs> Last time Derek sang that song, my children were singing it for about a week straight. You know, it was just like, what was that song? They've heard the song, but when an anointed worship leader gets hold of it and sings it, it'll get in your spirit. Amen? Amen. So I promise you I will find the place in my Bible that I'm turning to. <laughs> That was happening for a while. <laughs> John won. <laughs> okay. oh. Well, I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about Jesus and John 1. So, we left off last week. Let's just turn there before we begin. John 20. Let's read this last verse. What I kind of stated was the summary of the book of John, why the book of John was written. John 20, verse 30, that's where we start. And it says, I'm reading out of the New King James. I'm going to read out of the New King James tonight and the ESV, and I'll try to tell you when I'm in the ESV and in the New King James. The New King James says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Later on in chapter 21, it's going to say that if everything was written down, that not even the entire world can contain the amount of books that would be written. It says, but these, in verse 31, are written. So we have these things written. And the point is that we may believe. Amen? And the word here in the Greek means that, that we would go on believing. So don't take the book of John is something just for unbelievers to think of it as something that's strengthening us as believers also in our faith, in our belief, that we would believe that Jesus is real, that these things are true, and that he truly is the Son of God and the slain Lamb. So it says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing or in going on believing you may have life, or you may continue to have life in his name. How many of you want to continue to experience life in Jesus Christ? The life we experienced yesterday isn't the life we want to experience today. We want to experience abundant life today, right? And we want to experience abundant life tomorrow, right? And we want our families to experience life. And this is written so that we can put our faith and hope in a real man, who is on a real throne in heaven above and who is really coming back to rule and who will give you the kingdom of his father. That's what the book of Daniel says. It says the kingdom that Jesus returns and claims he's going to give to the saints of the most high. Isn't that wonderful? And this book was written so that we would be strengthened in our faith. In that man, Jesus Christ. So, let's dive in. John chapter 1. Now, we've been meditating on this this week, and I'm sure you have your own revelations of what the Lord has shown you. I don't have notes for us this week, 
Is this a, I want to see your eyes. Last week I saw everyone in the notes, which is great. I love that. But this week I was like, I want to see their eyes. So I'm not giving you notes. But I'm going to put them online um, in the next couple of days. So you can go to the website and download them if you would like to. Not that they're anything wonderful. They've just been my meditations for this week. I'm preparing for John 1. So we're just going to go line upon line, okay? We're going to get as far as we get. And, and then we're going to break up into small groups and discuss who God is and pray for one another and let the revelation of who he is come from your own heart and lips and mind and glorify him in our small groups. John 1 starts out in the beginning. Now, John has the audacity to start his gospel of Jesus Christ the same way the first book of the Bible begins. In fact, in the Hebrew, it wasn't called the book of Genesis. It's called in the beginning. And John uses the same phrase. He uses in Greek, but he uses the same phrase. And he says, in the beginning. And Genesis, in the be- Genesis says, in the beginning was God. And John says, in the beginning was the word. So he starts right from the beginning of the book to say, this man called the word, who he's going to point to Jesus, is the word. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Sounds repetitive, but John is making a point. The Word was in the beginning, and this Word, Word, is the Greek word logos, and I mentioned this when I preached on John 17. But it means the meaning of all life and the source of all life. It was very deep in the ancient Greek world, and it was understood as the philosophers were trying to find the meaning of truth that they realized it came from somewhere. Truth comes from somewhere. Truth has a source, and they begin to call that source the logos, the word. And so when John starts his book with in the beginning was the logos he's being very strategic he's writing this from the greek city of ephesus it's a roman city but founded first in the in when greek ruled the ancient world and he's making the point that the meaning of all life the source of all life was in the beginning with god the word was with god the word was god And it says, and he was in the beginning with God. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to list a bunch of scriptures. Again, these will be online in a little bit, but you can write these down and reference them. Colossians 1, 15 through 18, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Again, in the beginning, he was the firstborn of all creation. And he is before all things, and he is the beginning, and he is the head of all things, and he is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might have preeminence or be first or hold the first place. John is, I mean, Paul in Colossians is just hitting this point. He's first. He's first. He's first. He's first. And John is making the same point. He was in the beginning with God. I find it interesting that in Revelation 21.6, it says, the Father says... That it is done. And then he calls himself, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, I am the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
But then a chapter over in Revelation 22, it says that Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And he says, And I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, and I am the first, and I am the last. I am the beginning and the end. And the idea here is, so which one is it? Is the Father the Alpha? Is the Father the beginning? Is the Father the first? Is Jesus? And the answer is yes, they both are. Because they were both from the beginning. And they are God together with the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. It says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, through whom are all things, and through whom all things exist. Colossians 1, 16, it says, By him, by Jesus, again, who all things were made through, Paul says, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, that are visible and that are invisible. The visible things are on earth. The invisible things are in heaven. He says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created through him and for him. And this is written to cause worship in our hearts. Worship of the man that we love, that we serve, that he is God, that he was before all of us, but he purposely created us so that he could have relationship and a family and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. You have a purpose. You were created not just out of circumstance, not just out of happenstance. You were created by God. He formed you in your mother's womb, and Jesus was the one that did this. Now, Jehovah's Witness would say that, well, this clearly doesn't mean that he himself wasn't made. He was made. They believe that Jesus is an archangel, that he was first made by God, then God called him the Son. And then through Jesus, God made everything. But John's next statement puts that argument to rest. He said, without Jesus, without him, was not anything made that was made. So in this category of made over here or created, in that category was not anything made that was made without him, which means he can't be in that made category because he wasn't made. He was uncreated. And being uncreated, John's saying he's God. Everything we see is made. We are made. Only God is not made. Only God is the uncreated one that we worship. And the seraphim and the elders cry, holy, holy, holy. You know what that word holy means? It does mean pure. It does mean righteous. But it also means completely other than us. Completely unlike us. Uncreated from the beginning. Now this is where the church has built the doctrine of the Trinity. This and many other writings in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But this is where we understand that God... The Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are one, and they never had a beginning. They always were. To him who 
was. It just says was. <laughs> and our minds just have to wrestle with that. Aren't you glad you worship a God that is greater than you? Aren't you glad you worship a God that isn't the fabric of your own hands, isn't the making of your own hands? You worship a God who made everything, not an idol. Jehovah, Yahweh. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, verse 6, whose name was John. And he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See how many times the word light is used there? It's used seven times in this first chapter. So John's transitioning. The, the word was the light. And the light was coming into the world to shine upon all men. Don't you love that the light overcomes the darkness? Light overcomes darkness. Light drives back darkness. Light pushes back darkness. Now John's going to say... That in this light, we find life. Which means that life also pushes back death. That death is going to be overcome. I mean, we just sing, we just sing it in worship. He has overcome. It's true. And it's continuing to be true in our life as we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. How many need, how many of you guys need a little bit of light shining in your life? To push back darkness. How about in your marriages? Light shining in your marriages to put, push back darkness. Light shining on your families to push back darkness. John is saying it's found in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says that for God, who was the God that said let light shine out of darkness in creation, that same God, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. When we look at Jesus, light by the power of the Holy Spirit shines in our hearts and we see the Father. And John's going to hit this over and over and over again. 1 John 1, 5-7 says that God is light. And it says, and if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The book of John and, of course, First and Second John and Third John, they, they go so together because they're written by the same author. And I look at the book of John as us looking at Jesus as who he is. And then First John, it's kind of the practical application of how to walk in this light. In the, in, in the gospel, he says he is the light. And in First John, he says, walk in the light. So they're kind of fun to read parallel if you want to do that. Okay, verse 10. Let's keep moving on. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. John, I mean, John just keeps hitting this. Made through him. Made through Jesus. And now he's in the world, but the world did not know him. And then it says verse 11. And this should cause our hearts to grieve. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Now, this is probably speaking of the leadership of the Jewish people, that they didn't receive him. Because we know that many 
Jewish people actually did receive him. He had a lot of followers in Galilee. And then he had a lot of converts after that. 5,000 at one time preached, or 3,000 at one time preached by Peter at Pentecost. But the leadership of his own people didn't receive him as the king when he was the king. The leadership of his own people did not receive him as God when he was God. Isaiah 53. He was despised and he was rejected by men. This is 53 verse 3, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide, men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not, or we, or we equated him as nothing. They looked at the Son of God, who again was with God from the beginning, who again made all things and is uncreated, and they said, he's not worth listening to. And the point here is, we can't make that same mistake. We can't. We cannot afford to make that same mistake. We need to look at Jesus. We need to believe his words. We need to study the gospels and get them in our heart and pray them back to God and cause faith to arise. That he is who he said he is. And we put our faith in Jesus, the maker of it all. Verse 12. But to all who, d who did receive him. Now it turns here. There's a hinge. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Say hallelujah. But who all who did believe him, who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of his father. Now, this word right here can also be translated power. He gave the power. He empowered us through his blood and through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and sending the Holy Spirit to be children of God. Or another way I like to say it, and I don't know, it just touches me. He gave us the privilege to become the children of God. What a privilege we have to be God's children. Amen? I think of the verse that Jim was given in worship, Romans 8. And it says, we are children of God. We're no longer slaves to fear, to the bondage of fear, to the bondage of sin, to the bondage, and it calls it slavery. When you're a slave, you can't set yourself free. Someone has to set you free. Guys, we've been set free. To what? To be sons of God. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit through whom we cry, Abba, Father. As we look to be heirs of all things. We're heirs now and we walk in promises now. And we're going to walk in promises then. And we're going to be given resurrected bodies and resurrected minds and resurrected hearts and, and, and uh, an abode in the new Jerusalem. And we have an inheritance, joint heirs with Jesus. Whatever he receives, we're going to receive. Guys, this is a privilege. But not only that, we get to call him daddy. And that even is weird for me to say. Every time I say it, it, it just hits me. It's like, I can call you daddy. I can call you Papa. I can call you Dad. 
I still have a daughter who runs up. She's about five years old. She runs. Actually, I have two daughters that call me daddy. I'll tell you about the first one first. Harvest. She runs up and she says, daddy, daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have that? Daddy, will you tickle me? Daddy, can we wrestle? Daddy, will you? Daddy, daddy. And I never get tired of it. I also have a 13-year-old daughter, and she still calls me daddy. And it's a complete different experience. You know, she gets in my arms and wraps her arms around me, and she says, oh, daddy, I'm glad you're home. Oh, daddy, can we spend some time together? I want to tell you about some things that are going on in my heart. She actually just texted me that. Can we ride home? alone together. I just want to talk to you. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> of course. How many of you know with 13-year-olds that doesn't happen too often? And when it does, I have just enough wisdom to say, sure, let's do that. Guys, we have to exercise this privilege. John is saying that Jesus, though rejected by the leadership of the Jewish people, has made a way and has empowered you and has given you the privilege to call his father your father. And to call his daddy your daddy. Amen? I mean, this is powerful. Let's go on. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I believe this is the most important thing about the Word, okay? The Word, the meaning of life, and the source of all life. The Word became flesh. Now, the aspect of the Word becoming flesh is the Word, for us, became message. He is the message of the Father. All that Jesus said, all that Jesus did, all that He will do when He returns is message from God. Is God telling us, this is what I'm like. These are the misconceptions you have of me. Look at my son and cause them to be dislodged from your heart and from your mind and believe in who I am by seeing who he is. Testimony of God is Jesus. Jesus' message then. Jesus is message from God now, when we see glimpses of him in the prophets and in the book of Revelation, when we know that he's at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning as the firstborn from the dead, and that he's going to have many brothers and sisters in the resurrection if we put our trust in him, he's message from God. He's the word from God. He's the sermon from God. How many of you need a word from God? <laughs> I love that term. I need a word from God. And those are great terms. We do need prophetic words. We do need encouragements like that. But guys, we have the word from God. And his name is Jesus. And we have four books and a whole New Testament and a whole Old Testament that describe him. It's message. This is who I am. See it in my son. He's going to be message from God when he returns. Revelation 19, 13 describes Jesus in his return. And what's he called? He's called the word of God. Him who is faithful and true. Him who a sword is coming from his mouth. He's going to punish evil, 
put an end to death and take his bride to himself. He's worth it. And he's flesh now. And he's flesh forever. Did you know that? Jesus is not spirit up above. He's flesh. He's the new flesh that we get to hope for, but he's flesh. He went to Thomas. Thomas, touch me. He ate with him on the beach. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to take in fish. You're going to see that it doesn't fall out of my stomach. It's not there. It's here. Flesh. Resurrected flesh. Forever flesh. It's going to come back and inhabit the earth forever. That's the hope you and I have. My father-in-law just went to, oh, I should not talk about this, but I'm going to. My father-in-law just went to be with the Lord this year, about five months ago. Rachel's dad. There was a cancer. We found out about it. Eight weeks later, he was home with Jesus. You know what strengthened my father-in-law? Was the fact that there's a resurrection. My hope is in Jesus. Guys, the gold that was underneath the surface of this man came out for eight weeks. There was no fear. It was incredible. He gathered all of his children and grandchildren, and he just began to prophesy over them of who they were. And he said, don't be sorry for me. I'm going to be in his presence. I'm going to be with my Savior. And that's where he is right now. And you know what he's hoping in? The resurrection. Jesus is coming back. I'm coming back with him. We get to hope in the resurrection. Jesus is flesh. And he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, my flesh, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for this world is my very own life, is my flesh. The purpose of Jesus having flesh was to give his flesh for us. He said, tear down this body, and in three days, I'll raise it again. <laughs> and Jesus is still in a body, and he's coming back as the word. And he dwelt among us. So he was made flesh, the word, and the word dwelt among us. Now, Mike did an incredible job on Sunday morning describing the Lord's heart to dwell with us. And this Jesus that was walking among us is the same God that came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with his people, is the same God that took them out of Egypt, is the same God that took them through the wilderness, is the same God that tabernacled among them in the promised land, is the same God that filled Solomon's temple with glory, is the same God who was in the beginning the Word and was made flesh, and now he's tabernacling among his people. I mean, this is beautiful. And you know what's even more stunning? The same word for tabernacle describes when God returns in the new heavens and the new earth with the new Jerusalem, and it says this in Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The tabernacle of God was with man, and he will tabernacle or dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How many of you guys are ready for the former things to pass away? I want a few tears wiped from my eyes. I want death to be no more. It's not right. It's an intruder. And everyone who experiences that death 
we know that it's not right. It doesn't feel right, does it? Never does. But we get to look who, to one who will dwell among us again and remove that veil of death over the nations forever. Oh my gosh, we could go on and on and on and on. But I don't want to because I want you guys to get in your groups and talk about Jesus and pray to Jesus together. I want this to be activated in your own heart. One last thing. <laughs> JR says, ah, he's a young preacher. Ah, one last thing. I'm just playing. <laughs> Let's go to verse 29. Now, Jesus is called the Word of God. He's called light. He's called life. At the end of the chapter, he's called the Son of God. He's called the King. We didn't even get to get into Son. That's amazing. He's called the Son of Man. We're going to talk about that all throughout this book. Those are his titles in chapter 1, but this is astounding. After John's inquisition, after his interview from the leadership of Jerusalem saying, are you the Christ? He's like, no, I'm not, but I came to prepare the way for Yahweh. Yahweh's coming again? Yeah, Yahweh's coming again. But he's coming as a man. And then he sees Jesus. It says, verse 29, the next day, after that inquisition. Now this is after John has actually baptized Jesus and he witnessed the spirit coming on him as a dove. He knows that's the one I've been preparing the way for. That's the Isaiah 40, Yahweh, who's going to reveal the glory of Yahweh. And he came upon one of his relatives. Can you imagine? Your cousin <laughs> or something? Because Mary and Elizabeth were related in some way. So John and Jesus were related in some way. So John sees the Spirit descend on Jesus, on Yeshua, on Joshua. And it says in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Not the next day of the baptism, but the next day of his interview. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, every Jewish person listening to that would think Passover lamb. They would think the Lamb of God, the Passover lamb. And John says, that's the real one. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, we would, be do, we would do well to obey John, to behold him, to look at him, to meditate on him, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the sin of the Jewish people, the sin of all mankind. What revelation is John walking in? And it says... He says it again later on his disciples leave him because he's preparing his disciples for this one. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then to end, just on the victory of the Lamb of God, Revelation 5. Oh, guys, to meditate on the Lamb of God, to meditate on Exodus 12, on Isaiah 53, and on Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7 of the Lamb of God is unbelievable. Just let it wash over you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you by meditating and praying and worshiping the Lamb of God. It says this in Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and loose its seals. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and amongst the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And then it says in verse 9, and they respond to him who had taken the scroll, the elders. And they say this, worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you to take the title deed of the earth, to have the ownership and the dominion of all people. And to open its seals for you were slain. You were the lamb who was slain. And what has his blood done? What has his blood accomplished? By your blood, you ransomed or you pulled back or you redeemed men for God. People for God. Out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. The next time you get bashful, the next time you think, the gospel isn't going forward anymore, the next time you think the unreached people groups of the earth won't be reached, remember that every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation stand before the throne. The gospel is going to run rapidly and be glorified in every nation before his return. And it's the slain lamb and his blood that is separating and redeeming and pulling back men for God. Why? So we can be his sons, and it says in verse 10, so that we can be kings and priests to our God, and so that we can reign forever with him. So when John says, behold, the Passover lamb, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus has released this power, has given us this privilege to become his sons now, and we need to testify of this privilege to others. We need to lift our head high, guys. We are sons of God. Romans 8 does say if we continue in his sufferings, <laughs> we got to keep walking with him, right? It's not always easy. But guys, he is returning and his reward is with him for those who are faithful. So next week, we're going to hit John 2. I encourage you to meditate on it for a few days, to pray it for a few days. Our wonderful founding pastor, JR, he's going to lead us through John 2 and just his different revelations of what the Lord has given him. But guys, there is life in this. And as we apply our minds and our hearts and as we pray this back to God, the Lord has life for us. Amen? Good. So I'm just going to pray and then I'll hand it back to Jim. God, we just thank you for the revelation of this first chapter. John, we thank you that you are the word of God. We thank you that you are light. We thank you that you are life. We thank you that you are the word, the message of God made flesh, and that you chose to dwell among us. God, we ask you for revelation. I pray, Ephesians 1, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon us as we talk about this, as we meditate on who you are in the book of John together, and that you would bless us, Holy Spirit, with the gift of revealing your son in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it was a good chapter one. But there's more than 17 verses in John 1, so I would encourage you to, to read all, to continue reading John chapter 1 as well, because there's a lot in there. Uh, why don't we all stand? Uh, we're going to go out to the table. Some of the tables are still set up.
Um, you know, some of us have done this, but if you haven't been here before, just go out and find a table. We're creating a small community where we can discuss what we just talked about and uh, pray with each other and encourage each other. And uh, I have several people that will kind of be the table leaders. But if you just find a table, have a seat, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. And I just encourage you to stay. Don't, don't run out. This is an opportunity to connect and really uh, get to fellowship with your fellow believers here. And we try to be done by 8.30ish or so. So uh, if you all go on out, we'll go from there. God bless you guys.